Hey everybody, welcome back into the podcast daily. This is Bill Landis joined by Jeremy Birmingham over there. That's me. His his sweet looking studio. Look at my, I, I don't like doing these with you, Burn, because every time we do it, you have the sweet setup and I got this boring gray wall behind me with nothing on it. Well, Bill, the fact is I had very little else to do for the last month or so, except for try to turn my basement into what appears to be somewhat of an acceptable studio. I promise you, if you look out like this direction, it doesn't look nearly as polished. So um, I'm trying to keep the camera focused over here. And But the real important thing is that when you're on the show, when Austin's on the show, people just get to see your face, your countenance. And that's what people really are here for, the sweet, sweet sounds of your sultry voice, of course. And <laughs> and uh, just, you know, the way that you guys look uh, longingly into the camera, gazing ever so lovingly. That's all I have. All, all I have is my gaze while you have the, the sweet accoutrement behind you that, that uh, trying, you put trying. together. I, I told Austin I'll help him set up one at his house. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, I'm willing to offer the same thing to you whenever you move out of your house in your new house. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if that happens. It's been a little bit of a struggle. Uh, anyway. I, mean, what, I, I think you need to ask yourself what's more important, a nursery for a potential baby or <laughs> a nursery for this baby, the podcast the po baby? <laughs> Uh, I think the, my answer to that question is probably much different than my wife's question or answer to that question. And, and her answer is more important. So we'll probably go with the, for the actual baby, uh, more so than the podcast baby. You're smart, Bill. You're smart. Yeah, man. I know. I know. Berm, it's been a minute since you've been on the daily, I think. Uh, and to uh, me that, that suggests that you need to talk some recruiting here on, on this episode of the podcast daily. Yeah, I don't mind. I, you know, the thing I like about this show is that it doesn't ever feel like we have to be on it. But I always feel like if I am or you are or Austin is or if we all are, then it, then there's going to be a, a snappy, not snappy J America, not relax, a so. snappy rapport. Uh, and certainly this week, I think, is a good time to talk recruiting, because as we talked about um, on, on Sunday with the announcement um, from Jaden Bonsu, I think Ohio State's pretty much settling into a into a easy period not easy period but a, a calm period i guess when it comes to the recruiting class of 2023 and with the events of the last couple of days at ohio state especially the the long-term injury that's now been uh you know made public with evan Pryor, i think it helps people to, or should help people understand why the buckeyes recruit the way they do and sometimes you look at a position like running back or cornerback and we've talked at length about cornerback injuries this this camp how could they let it get so thin? But like, it's not the same way as it was five, six years ago. You can't just recruit and have five, six guys at every position, especially a position like tailback, and just have five guys ready to to jump in and play. I mean, you need to be able to have three or four guys, four at the most probably on the scholarship depth chart, and and then let it fall from there, right? Yeah, the 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 delicate balance of that is is fascinating to me, and and I think it's becoming increasingly more delicate. And I, I can't say that I ever looked at the running back position in the offseason and thought to myself, like, man, they need to add somebody there. I think perhaps they could have gotten away with it, but look at what they're trying to sell. Like Trevion Henderson is back, Maya Williams is back, Evan Pryor's on the rise. Who really wants to walk what what somewhat established player wants to walk into that situation as as a transfer? And then even if you're a, a true freshman, you already have Dallin Hayden in the class. Do you really want to come in and be the second guy in that class when the room is already that loaded? So I understand why that position in particular was difficult for them to add somebody else and and you know, I, I, it never seemed very urgent to me. Um, cornerback feels a little different, and I'm, I'm maybe curious your thoughts on that. They only had six scholarship corners going into the summer. Uh, pretty precarious position. Um, there was obviously a very high profile potential transfer out there in, in the offseason back, back in the in the winter 
uh, Eli Ricks at Ohio State um, didn't really seem to go after, but he wasn't the only one. And I'm wondering from your end, if you look at look at the situation they're in now and some of the ways are banged up. And, and I think we all believe that, you know, that's that's not a, a dire situation, but it would help to yeah. have another guy or two there. Looking back yeah. on that now, do you think they should have been more aggressive pursuing a cornerback? You know, this is the catch twenty two that you run into, though. I mean, if you're looking even let's let's project ahead to the to class of twenty twenty three. Ohio State has one commitment in that class at running back from from Mark Fletcher, right? Mm-hmm. If all things being what they are, none of the current running backs on the roster are gone after this season. So you still next year go into next year with Mayan Williams, Travion Henderson, Evan Pryor, Dallin Hayden, and now Mark Fletcher. What do we know about college football roster management right now? What are the odds of all five of those guys being on the roster next year? even without a departure to the NFL by Mayan Williams. I'd say it's pretty low. I mean, would, would you not? I would agree. And so it, it, you look at it and you go, hey, well, maybe they should go get a second guy in the class of 2023. But if you do that, then you risk potentially upsetting the balance with, with Mark Fletcher. And then you're back where you were, very similar to how the tight end situation was, where you think you have finally it figured out. And then the new, the second tight end comes in, and the guy that had been there for a while is like, hey, wait a second, this doesn't feel right. And then he's out the door. At cornerback, you know, when, when you look back to last December and January when Elias Ricks, who who transferred from LSU to Alabama, ultimately when he was being um, in the transfer portal and was examining his options, Ohio State was certainly one of those schools that he was interested in. But it was also a time for Ohio State when you had this current crop, this exact group of guys, plus uh, legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts. And I know that people out there say, you know, hey, don't, don't be afraid to go to upset a room if you're bringing in a guy who's a superior talent and you know he's going to come in and make and make a big difference. And I think this is where the the disconnect is between fans and the coaching staff and the administration at Ohio State. There's not been a situation since Ryan Day took over, Bill, where there was a a guy in the transfer portal that they wanted who was a clear upgrade at a position that they didn't go after. And mm-hmm. so fans see a player like Elias Ricks, who was, uh, you know, the number one ranked cornerback in the country coming out of high school in 2020, obviously had a great freshman season at LSU, struggled a bit last year with some injuries, but they see Elias Ricks and think this guy is a clear cut upgrade over anything Ohio State has. And clearly the Ohio State staff didn't think that he was, or they would have gone after him because there wasn't a single instance in the past where they hadn't. So do I think they should have found a way to add another player Probably, but I don't think you could have done that um, with any real uh, insight until after the spring when when Legend Cavazos and Ryan Watts transferred. And at that point, the pickings are pretty slim, and you don't want to then potentially risk upsetting the apple cart with a guy like J.K. Johnson, who then sees, hey, this is my opportunity, and now I got to take a hold of it. Or, you know, I just think that that's such a weird, delicate dance that all these staffs are trying to do because the transfer portal has changed the way you have to handle much more than just the guys out there in the portal. It changes how you have to handle every single player, one through 85 on your roster. You can't just willy-nilly say, hey, I'm going to go uh, pick anyone I want. But it, Ohio State's in a position right now, and I'm just going to keep rambling, where <laughs> if something happens after this season and Mayan Williams has a huge year and decides to go pro, it's easier in January to go out and get a transfer running back than it is to find one at, in April. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think that's right, and and I think the timing, <clears throat> the timing of corner just it didn't really work out for them. I, I was, I was sort of in favor of them not doing anything back in the winter because 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 I I am a, I'm in favor I think of of staffs 
trusting their evaluations of high school prospects. And, and they clearly thought that guys like J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock were going to be real players here and, and also real players here for two or three more years. So you do the math. As there. opposed to just a in, rental. Right. Do you want to bring in a rental or do you want to develop, continue to develop these guys in your program? And and I know fans probably don't want to hear about, about hurt feelings, but but that's just the nature of the sport now. And, and you know, I, I think in the past, you're right, they, they have had glaring issues. Um, Jonah Jackson. Trey Sermon, Justin Fields is probably the best example of it, um, and they've gone and attacked those in a really aggressive way. So I, I don't, I don't think that Ohio State is transfer averse, and I don't think it ever will be. Um, I just don't think they're they're going to throw caution to the wind when trying to attract transfers the way that maybe like Alabama does. And I, and I get you see that happen, and you think to yourself, well, Ohio State should operate the same way. Uh, there's no guarantee that if Ohio State operated the same way, it would work <laughs> for them yeah. the way it well, works for Alabama. Yeah, and I think that's actually the part about this that is it needs to be looked at from Ohio State fans' perspective. The Buckeyes are are on the recruiting trail selling relationships and commitment and brotherhood. And if you commit to this program, we're committing to you. And it is a disservice to themselves if after one year they say, hey, you know what? Actually, there's this other guy who played at LSU last year that we think we like better. Uh, I just don't think that that serves the program and its long-term goals very well. If you trust that you are one of the top two or three recruiting programs in the country, which Ohio State clearly believes they are and all uh, available metrics indicate that they are, you can't just give up on players after one year when they struggle or J.K. Johnson and Jordan Hancock don't play a year ago. You can't say all of a sudden, well, guys, you know what? Uh, we think uh, our, our evaluations were wrong. Uh, and plus, and I think it's also a unique situation in the last year because Ohio State knew they were not just replacing, uh, you know, one or two pieces uh, in the secondary. They were also replacing three defensive coaches. And so you don't want to just upset the entire apple cart. Now, I can see the flip side from another perspective where you could say, hey, this is the exact time to upset the apple cart because these coaches have no loyalty to these players. They have no, um, you know, long term relationship. But again, if you're trying to build a relationship or a program on the foundation of trust and care and, you know, they have that stuff all over the walls of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center, the circle of trust, the 12 points, the all the things like that. Is, it can't just be bluster. It has to be how you actually operate your program on a day to day basis. And I think that that's what Ohio State has done well. And that's what continues to re attract these top recruits to Columbus when you know, the Big Ten isn't winning national championships year in and year out like the SEC is. Do you, do you believe that Ohio State can continue to operate that way and be what it wants to be? Or, or are they, like we talk about the NIL stuff, right? And, and there seems to be, there seems to be a, a need for Ohio State to maybe go to greater lengths to stay competitive there than perhaps it wants to. Do you think it needs to do the same as it pertains to this conversation we're talking about, or can it can it continue to be what it is and what it wants to be by operating this way? I think everybody inside of the Woody Hayes Athletic Center understands that if they start losing games, people don't care how well you played it, or they don't care how concerned you were with being ethical or how concerned you were with you know, being, I don't want to say holier than now, but being able to stand on a, on a pedestal and say, Hey, we did it the right way. It, to me, it's, it's the Georgia paradigm, right? Everyone loved Mark Rick at Georgia. Everyone loved the guy. He was beloved by their fan base, their, their alum, their boosters. 
but they weren't winning when it mattered. They weren't winning the games that mattered. He did it the right way, day in, day out. Got fired. Two years later, they're in the playoff. Three years later, they win the national championship. And I'm going to tell you right now, Georgia has decided essentially to say, hey, this is how the game is played in our conference. We're going to play it that way. And at some point, Ohio State, because their brand is so big, because the, the power of the block O is actually tangible, it's palpable around the country. They haven't had to get themselves into a lot of these muddy waters where you start to really compromise yourself ethically um, for the sake of winning, for the sake of playing for championships. But if they start to have nine and three seasons and eight and four seasons like Georgia was having, none of that stuff's going to matter, man. I'm <laughs> telling you, like Ohio State fans, in the 1980s, that was fine for people, I think. It's not fine now. If you're not winning 12 games a year, the coach has to be fired, and that's the that's simple reality. And beyond that, anymore, the simple reality is you're not going to win 12 games a year if you're not having a top five, top six recruiting class in the country every year. So uh, to me, the the math is pretty simple. Like the, the teams that recruit the best win the most. The teams that recruit the best are doing that by uh, – having a clear-cut plan and commitment to their program. Now, Ohio State's program is decidedly different than those in the SEC right now when it comes to how they're building it. If they can't keep up in the recruiting trail, if they can't keep up and win championships, absolutely, Bill, they have to change. And and I think they're aware of that. I mean, they, they certainly, as you mentioned, especially on the NIL front, like they're, they understand that like there has to be some tweaks and some adjustments to the approach. Yeah, I'm not. I, di I didn't ask that because I I am like fearful that. They're Why do you hate out. Ohio State football so much, Bill? Is this because you're a Penn State guy? <laughs> yeah, that must be it. No, I, I, I actually don't. I don't feel like they're giving up ground. Um, I, I'm I'm more curious than anything about whether or not they will have to tweak things moving forward. But for the time being, you know, they still have a top five recruiting class. I think, I think when they have gone into the portal and they've been calculated about it, it's usually worked out pretty well for them. So I I'm not. I'm not concerned about their ability to find those players when they need to find them. Um, I'm just wondering, again, I think compromise is, is, is probably the right word. At what point do you start to consider changing the way you do business if, if it feels like the rest of the sport is going in one direction and you're trying to stay, stay on a different path? Yeah, and I think the interesting part about that is that it, it, there's a clear delineation still between the Big Ten and other conferences around the, around the country. The, it is obvious that teams in the Big Ten are reluctant to get head over heels into the muck, right? Like, mm -hmm. eventually, though, there will be a program or two in the Big Ten that says, "Hey, you know what? Why are we being reluctant? Let's let's take advantage of the opportunities that are out there. Let's realize that this is our chance to ascend quickly in the uh, perspective of recruits and, and families." And once that happens, I'm I, I'm extremely curious to see how the Ohio States, the Michigans of the world react because they've been able to stay on top of the Big Ten doing it the right way for a while. Um, and eventually, until there are clear-cut rules in place that right now, I mean, we've seen it. Everyone hates the cliche, the wild, wild west, but that's sort of what college football recruiting is right now. And until there are clear markers of what's right, what's wrong, who's being penalized for whatever, what type of actual um, – system is in place to make sure that people are held accountable if they're blatantly violating the rules until that happens. I mean, it's, you're seeing some of these programs around the country that are saying this is, this is their moment and they're not going to like 
let it go or risk um, failing to take advantage of it when it's clear that there's no no one guarding the cookie jar. <laughs> I want cookies. Yeah. Hey, what's your favorite great. kind of cookie? You know, I'm pretty basic. I go chocolate chip. Yeah, I don't know why anyone wouldn't go chocolate chip. I mean, what is what is what is the other like acceptable answer there? I don't. I don't know. I think like, I like peanut I like butter. Snick- I like a snickerdoodle. Snickerdoodles are really good. Yeah. Yeah. I think a peanut butter cookie is always a good way to go. I don't like it when they're particularly like the hard, super crunchy kind. You know mm. where you put the fork in them and you have the fork designs. Like I just think that there's a there's a subsection of American society that are ooh oatmeal raisin or something like that. Like get mm. out of my get, get out, out of here. here. Yeah, <laughs> I don't so want to know weird. those people. I don't want to know so you. All right, let, let me uh, let me let me uh, flip to a different topic here before we wrap up. Keon Keeley, the uh-huh. five star defensive end who is still committed to Notre Dame, but uh, seems to be f- flirting a little bit. Uh, what what's going on there with him? Where is Ohio State in that mix? Are we expecting him to visit for the Notre Dame game and? I guess, where do you see that recruitment at the moment? Uh, let's start from the, the back end. I, I do expect that he'll be at, at Ohio State for the Ohio State-Notre Dame game on September 3rd, likely as an official visitor. That will be his second visit to Ohio State. He visited in the spring. Um, Keon is a player that I think, if you ever have a conversation with him, that's a guy that I think, like the new the new wave, the new era of what we would consider an Ohio State-type player, an Ohio State guy, like he fits that mold pretty well. Um, Clearly, however, he's also listening to Alabama, and Bama's done a great job finding those players too. Caleb Downs is a player and a person who I would say was an Ohio State guy, but it's Bama, and they do things in a way that you can't argue with anyone going there for any reason. Like the, you know, sure, the success is so obvious that you are willing to sacrifice. Maybe like, hey, I fit here as a person better, or whatever. I, I don't know. I'm not, not, kids like that. Kids like Caleb Downs. Kids like Keon Keeley are going to fit anywhere because that's just who they are. They're great kids with great families. And it does seem like the Notre Dame commitment, which has been in place for almost a year, I think a little over a year now, seems to be in some trouble. Uh, That is on the heels of a visit to Alabama at the end of July that had a lot of people buzzing and expecting, almost thinking that Keon Keeley would flip to Alabama right away. I don't think that's the case. I do think if he makes the decision to decommit from Notre Dame, and I know that that is something that, weighs heavy on a kid like him because he believes so strongly in being a man of his word and giving um, a chance to, to the people that he's that stuck by him and were there when he really became what he is now as a recruit. But it does seem like this is shaping up to be an Ohio state and Notre uh, Alabama type battle um, with Marcus Freeman's program still trying to, to stay in the mix. But it's interesting about a kid like Keon Keeley. His recruitment really for Ohio State has been spearheaded by Tony Alford, uh, who recruits that Tampa area for Ohio State uh, full time and just sort of peripherally with Larry Johnson. And then so now what, what you see happen is a guy like Larry Johnson gets in, gets involved now, gets involved now as the recruit starts to really drill down into what he's looking for. And you hope from an Ohio State perspective that he's able to get some some time with Larry Johnson, with with Keon and his family on that weekend, and and give Ohio State a shot. I do. I truly believe this is a kid that the Ohio State recruits have fit in with, well with. They've been recruiting him peer to peer, extremely hard for months, um, and, and just trying to be you know building relationships with him. A lot of those guys like Luke Montgomery, uh, even Sonny Styles, who were all being recruited by Notre Dame and Ohio State at the same time when Sonny was still in the class of twenty twenty three. Like there, there's definitely a, a little buzz building for Ohio State, and as long as he gets to campus on September third, 
think at that point, all bets are off and you sort of just, uh, you know, go to the mat with it. But he's a big time, big time defensive end. And in this class of 2023 for Ohio State, they're really swinging, taking home run cuts at that position. As we talked about the other day with Mateo Uyangalale and Keon Keeley, you're just out there and you're swinging for the best ones you can find. At the risk of getting way too consumed with what Ohio State Mm -hmm. recruits and coaches do on social media, uh, are these these pancake emojis in reference to a potential Keon Keeley flip? Is that what they're trying to get some momentum behind? I haven't confirmed that because generally speaking, I go back to two years ago where the Buckeye recruits and coaches were posting picture of steak emojis before. Mm -hmm. And like, I know from talking to people that they know they have a unique power to make people freak out on social media for no reason. (laughs) And so they kind of like to play this game a week ago, Brian Hartline and, and the players started posting those pancake emojis and, Brian Hartline went on social media and said, oh, this was just about a pancake block that happened in practice. They're, they're just playing with people's emotions. Uh, that's really it. And so don't 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 dive too far down that rabbit hole where you start to wonder what these things mean. Uh, it could mean pancakes are delicious. I'm a big breakfast person. Bill's a big breakfast person. Uh, people, America, can we talk? America, just, just come in real quick. Austin Ward doesn't think breakfast is important. And so the next time you see Austin on the podcast daily, I'd like in the comments for people to let him know how wrong he is about that. Please. I, I think we should have our, our growing audience on the podcast daily, which we are greatly appreciative of just spam Austin with pancake emojis. (laughs) Actually, folks, you heard it here first. We need you to do this. America needs you to do this. (laughs) Make sure Austin Ward gets all of the pancake emojis that he possibly can on Twitter, anywhere else that you follow him, but just make sure. You know what? Show up at Roosters next Monday and just bring Austin a stack of flapjacks. Bring stacks of flapjacks into the rush. He'll really really appreciate that. Yeah. No no doubt he will. It's something that I think has to happen for for just the general goodness of America. Before we go, what is your breakfast choice? Like, If you had to choose, like, what do you have? Like the, the ideal Bill Landis breakfast, what is it? Um, I'm, I like, I like the, I'm more of a, of a savory breakfast than I am a sweet breakfast. So okay. I, I like an omelet. Um, one of my favorite breakfast dishes that I've had, um, over the last couple of years is a, is a pork belly Benedict that oh. I, I have, I have yet to perfect making myself. I've tried it. I didn't, didn't really go great. Um, but it is a delicious meal if you can find a place that does it well. Pork belly Benedict. I, I still consider myself a bit of a traditionalist. I, there's not a whole lot that I like more than just a staple of bacon, three over medium fried eggs, some toast, some hash browns. That's still the way to go. If But, you know, I'm looking forward to being on the road with you this year so we can try to convince Austin on game days that uh, breakfast is important, more important than like that extra half hour of sleep. Couldn't agree more. We're going to breakfast. I can guarantee you that. Uh, He can stay back in the hotel, I guess. That's right. That's right. Okay. Thank you for listening to the podcast daily. That's Jeremy Birmingham. I am Bill Landis. No Ohio State interviews on Wednesday, but we'll be back in the Woody on Thursday to talk with Corey Dennis and some quarterbacks. We'll have plenty on the podcast, though, between now and then. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll talk to you guys tomorrow.